Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This talk continues week three of our series, The Story. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Good morning and welcome to Valley Point Church. My name is Ben and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in week three of a series called The Story. And the story is a chronological walk through the entire Bible. And this is week three. And on week three, we are actually wrapping up Genesis. So in three weeks, we've walked through the entire first chapter or the first book of the Bible. So we're really moving. We're not playing around. And so you don't want to miss any of the weeks of the story because you don't want to miss too much of the storyline. And in week one, we begin with creation. And we said that God created all that there is. He created man and he created woman. And then man would sin. And that sin caused a separation between God and man. The relationship had been broken. And then in week two, we saw that God began to reveal his plan for the world. He began to do this through individuals, uh, particularly a couple named Abraham and Sarah. And together, they would eventually have a son whose name was Isaac. And then Isaac would have a son named Jacob, and then Jacob would have a son named Joseph. And it was through this lineage that God would choose to establish a brand new nation, his chosen nation, the people of Israel. And so this is cool. We get to see the birth of a brand new nation, and we get a front row seat through scripture at what's happening. And it was through that lineage also that God chose to begin to unveil his plan for us. And when we talk about God's plan, we've been referring to that in this series as the upper story. Now, the upper story is a story that only God knows. And he chose to reveal some of that to us in Scripture, in the Bible. And that's his upper story. And each week we've said that we're going to kind of identify what God is trying to teach us through his upper story. And this week, this is what we're going to see, that God works things out for good and he knows what's best for me. God works things out for good and he knows what's best for me. That's what we're going to see today. But we're going to also take a look at Joseph and his lower story. And this is what we've been referring to, to what happens here on earth. And we live in the modern day lower story. And just like we have everyday lives, we wake up, we have breakfast, kids go off to school, we go off to work, we come back and circumstances surround our lives and interactions. Just like we have a real life, people in the Bible actually had real lives too. And we're going to look at the narrative of the life of Joseph and then say, how does his lower story interact with God's upper story. Then we're going to take both of those and say, okay, how does that now apply into my story, your story today, right now? We're going to personalize this information today. So that's sort of the structure of what's going to happen, and that's how the structure of this series has been working out. And so today, we get to jump in to the story of Joseph. Remember, the great-grandson of Abraham, the father of God's chosen nation. And if you remember a few months ago, Pastor Eric walked us through a series called Not Your Average Joe. How many of you here remember that or was here for that? So this series was the life of Joseph. And so we've covered some of this and it took him five weeks to walk through this story. And he gave me 30 minutes to do it. Can you believe that? And I've already used five of it just setting this thing up. 
And when I told him about this, I said, Eric, you do realize you took five weeks to do this, and I have to do it in one. I think his exact words were, yeah, have fun figuring all of that out. And so we're going to have some fun today, but we are going to be moving pretty quickly. So sit up and pay attention and hang with me, and we're going to get through this whole story of Joseph. And we'll begin in Genesis 37. And we find Joseph living in his hometown of Canaan with his father Jacob and his brothers. It says, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob sent Joseph. He said, your brothers are pasturing their sheep in Shechem. Get ready and I'll send you. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along. And then come back and bring me a report. Very common, nothing strange happening. The brothers are gone. Dad wants to check on them. Sends Joseph to find out where they are. Well, Joseph finds them in verse number 18. And when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. I think we may have jumped a little too far into this story because something obviously had happened, right? Unless Joseph's just the most annoying brother in the whole entire world which we'll see a little bit of that later. But what had happened to where his brothers got to the point where they were going to kill him? I'm the youngest of three boys. And I'm sure at some point my brothers told me that they were going to kill me. I know it must have happened, but to my knowledge, they never actually put together a plan to execute that. And, well, I could be wrong, but as far as I know, they never did. But this has gone way too far. And there's a couple of reasons why the Bible tells us that Joseph's brothers hated him. The first was that he was Jacob's favorite son. And uh, Jacob wasn't apologetic about that. He loved Joseph more than the other sons. And the Bible tells us he even bought him a special colorful coat that he asked Joseph to wear. And Joseph wore it proudly just to signify how much his father loved him. That's kind of enough in itself, right, to put him into the let's kill him category? Well, not only that, but Joseph was also his father's firstborn son of his favorite wife, Rachel. Yes, you heard that correctly. Jacob had a favorite wife, and through that, there was a lot of dysfunction, obviously, through this family. So you have Jacob. He's the founding, one of the founding fathers of this chosen nation of God, and Not so much so great in the parenting skills, right? When you buy one son a colorful coat, you have to do what? Buy all the sons a colorful coat. That's right. We all know that. Or bad things start to happen like they want to kill each other. And so you could take a little bit of encouragement knowing that even through a family with a long history of dysfunctional lives and marriages and dysfunctional parenting, that he still chose to use them to carry out his plan. So there's hope for us too. The second reason that the Bible tells us that they hated Joseph was because of the dreams that Joseph would have. He would have these dreams and he would tell his brothers about these dreams and even his father. And in Genesis 37, the beginning of the chapter, we begin to see one of those stories as Joseph tells it to his brothers. He says, listen to this dream. He says, We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and all of your bundles all gathered around mine and bowed down before it. Well, his brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all of the more because of the dreams that he had and the way that he would talk about them. 
<clears throat> so, Joseph didn't help his cause much, did he? <laughs> he was pretty annoying. But this time he had pushed his brothers too far, and they were ready to kill him. So he goes out. All of this is happening. They're beginning to plot to kill him. Well, his oldest brother, Reuben, sort of has the voice of reason in all of this. And Reuben says, look, you cannot kill Joseph. Just think of what this is going to do. We go home and tell Dad that something happened to Joseph. We may as well be dead ourselves. And so he convinces his brothers, look, while we're deciding what to do, let's just throw him in this dried-out well. He can't get out, and we'll decide what to do. And Reuben's intention was to later go back, get Joseph, get him out, take him home, smooth everything over, and all could go on. Well, Reuben had to leave. We're not sure why, but Reuben left, and when he came back, Joseph was gone. And he begins to panic. Uh, Don't tell me you killed him. They said, no, 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 no. Of course we didn't kill him. We sold him. We figured we better get something out of this, right? So there was this traveling band of merchants, and they sold Joseph as a slave, and they were on their way to Egypt. And so now Joseph is gone. And Reuben is like, you got to be kidding me. What are we going to do? We can't go home and tell Dad Joseph's gone. If we don't have an explanation, he's going to have us looking for the rest of our lives for Joseph. And so they came up with a plan. They still had Joseph's coat. And they took his coat, and they killed an animal, and they dipped his coat in the blood, and they took that coat back to Jacob, their father, and led him to believe that his prized son was eaten by a wild animal. I mean, this is crazy, right? You can't make this stuff up. So you got to read some of this for yourself. It's all in there. And so obviously Jacob was crushed. And he never really would fully recover from this. And then we see that his brothers were crushed with guilt. And they would never fully recover from the pain and the regret that was in their lives. And so all of this is happening in Canaan. And Joseph's on his way to Egypt. And I have a map for you to kind of show you what kind of went down. There's Joseph with his brothers. And this is actual depictions of what happened. These are accurate. And I guess that's what Egypt looks like. And so they took Joseph to Egypt. And when he got to Egypt, he was sold again. And he was sold to a man named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar wasn't just an everyday, ordinary guy. Potiphar was a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's army. Now, Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. So basically, the most powerful man in the world. This is Pharaoh. Potiphar worked for Pharaoh. And now Joseph is now in the house of Potiphar as his personal slave. And in Genesis 39, we kind of begin to see what happens when Joseph is now serving Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did and served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about a thing. And I love this next phrase, except what kind of food to eat. Right? That'd be some kind of life. All you got to worry about is what's for dinner. I think I could get used to that. Well, Joseph, even in this place, worked hard. He stayed consistent in his faith in God, and God would bless him for that. So we see Joseph on top, and then his life takes a dramatic dip, and he becomes a slave 
And even though he was a slave, God would actually show him success where he was because of his faithfulness. And even as a slave, he began to have more responsibility and more things than most people in the world at that time. And then the story continues with a very interesting observation about Joseph. As Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife agreed. She soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except for you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? And then look at this next phrase. It would be a great sin against God. Staying consistent, once again, in his integrity, his faith in God. So God's going to protect him, right? In verse number 10, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around as he went to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come and sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran from the house. Joseph has really bad luck with coats. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. We all see where this is heading, right? This is bad news for Joseph. Then she told him, her husband, her story, that Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me. But when I screamed, he ran out, leaving his cloak behind with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about Joseph and how he treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him in the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. It's not a phrase you want a paragraph of your life to end with. And there he remained. It's daunting. And the Bible would tell us later that he would remain in prison for at least two years. But a couple of very important and significant things happened to Joseph while he was in prison. First of all, he remained faithful to God, and God would bless him for it. And he found favor with the head guards, and they gave him responsibilities and favors. And so even where he was at, God was showing him success. And then another thing happened. Two individuals came into prison with him. They were servants of the king, and the king got mad at them for some reason, so he sent them to prison. And at some point, these two individuals had terrifying dreams to them. They were disturbing dreams, and they didn't know what they meant. And they knew that Joseph was a man of God and that he might have the potential to interpret these dreams. And so they asked him, Joseph, is there any way you can tell us what these dreams we had meant? He said, no, I can't, but God can. And so tell me your dreams and I'll see what I can do. Well, they told him their dreams and Joseph interpreted them. And then they got out of prison and everything that he said came true. So now there's these people who kind of know that Joseph can do this. Well, it just so happens that a couple of years later, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a disturbing dream of his own. And he can't figure out what it means. And he calls in his magicians and his spiritual overseers, and he's asking them, Man, you, you have to tell me what this means. I know there's some significance here. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I'm riddled with anxiety. And so the Bible tells us that the man who was in prison with Joseph finally remembers Joseph. And he says, uh, Pharaoh, there's this guy in prison. He interpreted my dream, and everything he said happened, and I think he can do it for you too. So without hesitation, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. He's quickly brought from prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power, he said. But God can tell you what it means to set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. In my dream, he said, I was standing on the bank of the Nile River, and I saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin to graze in the marsh grass. Not, not too weird, right? Well, then, but I saw seven sick-looking cows, scrawny and thin, come up after them. I've never seen such scrawny-looking animals in all of the land of Egypt. These thin, scrawny cows ate the seven fat cows, but afterwards you wouldn't know it because they were still thin and scrawny, as before. Then I woke up. All right, it got a little weird. I have to admit, <laughs> that, that might disturb me a little bit. You got these fat cows and these skinny cows, and they eat the fat cows, and then they don't get fat themselves. And then you wake up. This is a little disturbing. And then he had a second dream that had to do with heads of grain and sort of the same thing kind of happening, and they both meant the same thing. So Joseph begins to explain them. He says, God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin, scrawny cows that come up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. So Joseph is saying, Pharaoh, God's given you a heads up here. There's going to be seven great years. There's going to be lots of food in the land. But we have to use those seven years wisely because there's going to be a seven-year famine that comes along on the backside of those seven prosperous years. So Pharaoh asked his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dream to you, then clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on the throne, will have a rank higher than yours. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Say what? I mean, he woke up in prison, right? And next thing you know, he's the most powerful, second most powerful man on the earth. Only second to the king of Egypt. This is incredible. His life gets brought back to the top, right? God is bringing him back from the dip. And so everything happens exactly like Joseph said. There were seven years of prosperity, and they used this time wisely to collect and to save, and the rest of the world had no idea what was coming. And so Egypt was well prepared for the famine that was about to hit. And so it happened that the whole world would then have the need to come to Egypt because they would run out of food and Egypt had it all. So they would go to Egypt and get their ration of food and then they would go back home. And they would continue to do this throughout the famine. Well, this affected the whole world, including, guess who? His brothers and his father, Jacob. He's back home. He's like, guys, we're running low and there's nothing going on out in the fields. You've got to go to Egypt and you have to get us some food so we can survive this famine. And so do you remember the final straw that sort of made the brothers decide to kill Joseph? It was his dreams, right? Remember what his dreams were about? We're about to be reminded. In Genesis chapter 42, since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling the grain to all of the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they 
bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger. The irony in this story, this could be an episode of Seinfeld. And what happened was Joseph was there, and he was probably wearing some sort of dress and some sort of head piece and heavy makeup, and this is just was the style of that day for people in leadership, I guess. And so they came. He was speaking a different language, so he recognized his brothers instantly. But his brothers had no idea who he was. And so he had a little bit of fun with his brothers before he would eventually tell him that this was Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 45, he says, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and just in case they weren't yet convinced, he said again, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. All right, they know it's him. No one else knew that. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you, To preserve your lives. What a perspective that Joseph was able to maintain. I mean, this is crazy. The ups and the downs and the betrayals and the long periods of waiting. How could he maintain this perspective of the upper story? Remember that God's working things out for good and that he knew what was best for Joseph Through all that he was going through, he maintained this. There's a few things we learn about God in this story of Joseph, in his lower story. One of the things is we see the different strategies that God uses to carry out his plan in our lives. He first works actively, and these can sometimes be easier for us to see. This is when he gives direct provision. You need a job, and he gives you that job. Your finances are running out, and he sends you the finances that you need. He sends you the friend that you need in just the right moment to give you the encouragement and the advice that you needed. Perhaps you were sick or a loved one was sick, and you prayed to God for their healing, and he healed them. And you know that that was a miracle straight from God. He directly provided for you. Well, the other way that God chooses to carry out his work in our lower story is passively. And this is when he allows circumstances to come into our lives and we are not sure of what's happening and what's going on and what the end game is. How is God working this out for my good? How is this what's best for me? He allows other people's decisions and actions to affect you and change the direction of your life. All along you're saying, how in the world is this good for me? How is this the best thing for me? It's when you're unaware of how the end game is going to work out. And it's not always just terrible situations. It can just be seasons of life that just bring about emotions that you're just not sure how to handle and what to do with. Perhaps you recently sent a student off to college and your family dynamics changed. There's an emptiness there, and there's a sadness there, and you're proud of them, you're happy for them, but things have just changed. 
And there's some emotions there that you're just not sure what to do with. And how does this work into the great plan of God? Or maybe you sent your last child to college and you're in an empty nest sort of season right now. Or maybe you're retiring and this is a new season for you. Or perhaps your family's gone through a dramatic change in dynamics and there was a divorce. Maybe you're a student and you're unhappy with your family right now. Or maybe you're going through a change in, in, in a different grade that's a, that's a huge transition for you and it's scary and there's these emotions. Or maybe you're just in a job that you know it's not where you want to be in five or ten years and you just don't see how you're going to get out of the situation that you're in. This is when God is passively working in our lives. And it's not our preferred method, is it? Because it's not fun at times, and it's scary at times. But I think there's three key things that we can apply into our story today. My story, your story. Three things that if we learn to do these three things well, that they can carry us through any circumstances that can come our way. The first thing is this. Learn to deal with disappointment. Because it's coming. It's going to happen to every single person in this room. Disappointment will come. And first of all, remember this, that God does not live in the lower story. He's aware of it. He loves it. He's involved with it. He's orchestrating it. But he's not confined by it like we are. God's upper story, it reaches well beyond anything that can happen in our lower story here on earth. He is limitless in what he can do for you and through you. How did Joseph handle his disappointment? Well, he chose to stay consistent in his faith in God. And I think that Joseph, before anything happened to him, he had already decided how he was going to react. I don't think he waited for things to happen and then, oh, I've got to decide what I'm going to do. No, he, he pointed himself in the direction of God and said, no matter what comes into play, I'm going to stay consistent in my faith. And then he just continued to do the next right thing in the situation that he was in. And that's not always an easy thing to find. What's the next right thing for me to pursue? And I think we kind of overcomplicate it at times. I think the first thing we need to do is get ourselves aligned with God, make sure our relationship with Him is good, and then begin to do something good. Maybe it's in your work and you think, okay, I'm just going to pour everything I have into being a great employee and I'm going to let everyone kind of see God through me and how I'm dealing with this situation. Maybe it's with your family. I'm not sure what to do, but I'm going to pour everything I have into being a great father, into being a great mom for my kids. And I'm just going to do that good thing and then see where God takes that. Maybe there's a social justice cause that you see and you're like, well, that's a good thing. I'm going to go for that and align myself in the direction of God and just let him work through me. So don't decide in the moment what to do. Fix yourself in the direction of God. Make sure your relationship with His is in alignment and do the next right thing for you and your life. The next thing that we need to learn to do is to deal with success, right? Because life isn't just full of disappointment. Life is full of successes too, and those are great to celebrate. But we need to point our successes back to God. The success that you have in your workplace... Who gave you the stamina to work the hours that you worked? Who gave you the intellect and the leadership skills 
to come into a company and help it discover itself and to transition it out of a place of financial ruin and to help it become financially secure once again, to help you transition a company into new leadership. I mean, these are things that aren't easy to do, and we can find ourselves taking the credit for a lot of it. We need to point all of that. Joseph was quick to deflect his successes back to God. I mean, he could have been the Egyptian superstar dream interpreter, right? He could have made a business out of it, but he said, no, 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 that's not me. That was God through me. He did that in my life. What about in your home, the success that you found with your family, with your kids, and you're proud of them for what they've done and what they've succeeded in, and you should be. But was that you? Is that me? No. No, that's God's goodness working through you and through them. So be quick to point the successes back to God. And then lastly, don't get bogged down by your lower story and don't lose sight of the upper story. We have to prevent ourselves from losing sight of the upper story. That God is working things out for good and he knows what's best for me. All of these situations come into our lives and blindside us. God doesn't get blindsided. We get surprised when things happen and people do things to us. God never gets surprised. He never gets caught off guard. So anchor yourselves to that truth that God is in control. He is working things out for good and his best is working itself in you. Keeping this upper story perspective allowed Joseph to live a life free of regret. Man, how good would that be to be able to look back on life and say, man, I have no regrets It allowed him to live a life that was full of generous forgiveness. Man, that'd be nice to look back on life and say, I was able to extend generous forgiveness because I knew that what people were doing to me and saying about me and the way they were treating me wasn't them. It was God working his plan out through them to get me where he needed me to be, to be my best. But remember, God does not give us a timeline for how long we're going to be in a season. He doesn't do that. It'd be nice if he said, in one year's time, you'll be out of this season, so hang in there. He doesn't do that. Joseph had no idea how long he was going to be in prison. He had no idea how long he was going to be a slave. The Bible tells us that from the time Joseph was sold into slavery and the time that he reconciled with his brothers, it's 22 years. 22 years passed of ups and downs and betrayals and inconsistencies in his life. He could not see God's final plan. But it says in his final 71 years, those years were great. He was in a place where he could protect his family. He got his father under his protection. And he was able to take care of God's chosen nation. And I think only the grandparents in this room will really fully appreciate the final details that the Bible gives us of Joseph's life. It says that the Lord allowed Joseph to grow old in age, and he was able to be there for the birth of his grandchildren. And it says not only that, he was able to be at the birth of his great-grandchildren, and he was able to place them on his knee. One of the greatest earthly honors that we can have. God works things out for good 
and he knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for you. The question is, can you trust in that today? Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the stories that you've revealed to us in Scripture to help encourage us, to help us walk through life with success. God, for those who are in a season, perhaps it's their season of drought, and we don't see the end game. We don't know how all of this is working out for my best. I don't see how this can be good at all. God, I'd ask that you would encourage those individuals today to get their relationship with you in alignment and to hold on to your promise that you are doing what's best for them. And it's just going to take time. And God, for those who are in a season of prosperity and their success surrounding what they're doing, I'm so thankful for that. And give them the ability to enjoy that to its fullest. But God, help us not to get caught up in what we have had success in. Help us to deflect that to you. Help us to always maintain this perspective of your upper story working itself out through us. But you are doing what's good for us. And you do know what's best for us. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.